0: Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Hi, I'm Jimmy Apple, and welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. I'd like you to stop by there, check it out. Today we're going to be discussing something that's really hits home for me. People asking if, if there really should be handicapped parking at malls and shopping centers. We're also going to be discussing diabetes and its effects on your day-to-day life. And we're also going to be discussing money-saving tips around the home. So let's get started. I was talking to a friend of mine. We grew up together. His name is Oscar. He says... He thinks it's ridiculous that in a shopping mall or a shopping center that there are handicapped parking spaces. He thinks that if you're able to walk around a mall or a shopping center, there's no need for a handicapped parking spot. Are you nuts? What are you even How can you even say that? People that have disabilities aren't prisoners. People that have disabilities, they have to shop just like you do. People that have handicapped parking spaces, there's something wrong with them. Their feet, their back their lungs they're crippled. There's something wrong with them that they can't be as ambulatory as everybody else. But you think that they shouldn't have the space? They don't give these parking permits to someone that has bad arms, bad rotator cuff, or something like that. These are for people that have difficulty walking any distances. And don't I would think that you'd think it's a, a pretty good idea to be sympathetic to the people that need just a little bit of help. I'm behooved by anyone that can deny somebody that's handicapped something that'll make their life just a little bit easier and i'll tell you what oscar i'll trade you i will trade you today you're always complaining about your job you're always complaining about being out all these hours Here here you go, bud. You and I are going to switch. You take all my disability. You can have my social security. And I'll switch with you. But I want whatever your condition is. You tell me I have a bad back. I'll take the bad back. You can have all of my problems. I'll take your bad back. And I'll even do your job that you hate. The crummy job that you have, I'll do. And I'll be happy to do it. I just can't believe that you even said that to me. I'll tell you what, Oscar. If you ask anybody that has a handicapped parking space, if they would give up that handicap placard if they could feel right if they could be 100% again I'll bet you Dallas the Donuts anyone you ask is going to say sure I'll give it up if you think that we go out and we become disabled just so we can get a premier parking space at the mall you're out of your mind you're nuts okay let's move on. Diabetes. Did you know in the U.S. there are 29.1 million people that have type 2 diabetes? 8.1 million people might not even be aware that they have it. Those are big numbers. One out of three adults are pre-diabetic. Nine out of ten Don't even know that they are pre-diabetic. About 1.4 million new cases are diagnosed every year. There's many risk factors that go for type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is the one that you get after birth. Type 1 is from birth on. Type 2, you're diagnosed with it. It comes later on in life. Many risk factors for type 2 diabetes include lifestyle decisions that can be reduced or even cut out entirely with time and effort. Men are slightly higher risk at uh, developing diabetes. Than women, they may be more associated with their lifestyle factors, body weight, and where the weight is located—abdominally versus the hip area—than with innate gender differences. Some of the significant risk factors for diabetes is old age, excessive weight, especially around the waist, uh, family history—you might have it in your family history, certain ethnicities are, are more prone to diabetes, and poor diet, which. For us who are disabled, that's a a real good possibility. I'll tell you what. After I became disabled, as when I put on all my weight, the day I got disabled, the day I had my accident, I weighed 217 pounds. And the only reason I knew that is because I weighed myself every other day. I remember the day I was diagnosed with diabetes or pre-diabetes, I guess you'd call it. The doctor did a pinprick on my finger, checked my sugar level, and it was elevated. And he said, you know what? We may be able to control this with diet. Okay. We may be able to control it with diet. That sounded good to me. Because anything I ever heard about diabetes was insulin shots. And I swore I would never do that. I wasn't going to take needles. I never liked needles. But they diagnosed me with diabetes. And unfortunately, I didn't take it as seriously as I should. You know, they said the diet. Okay, I looked at the diet. And I skipped reading everything that they said because I knew better. I figured if I got rid of all the sugar in my life, my diabetes would disappear. It's not true. <laughs> I found out the hard way. That's not true. It's good to eat stuff that's sugar-free and low-sodium. But the main thing to combat diabetes is reducing the carbs that you take in. The more carbohydrates you take in, the higher your sugar's going to go. And I didn't realize this in the beginning. Like I said, I was, eh, I cut out the sugar. I didn't take it that seriously. When I went back to the doctor, he sent me for an A1c test. That's where they test your sugar to see how it's been for the last three months. And when it came back, my sugars were high. And so the diet was, diet was out. Now I had a start taking pills and I figured well pills are still better than insulin but then I started making the mistake with the pills I'm taking the pills thinking well this is going to solve the problem so the diet can go up in flames but I found out again I was wrong then I figured well I beat the system again if I wanted to go out I just double up on my medication this way it'll counteract whatever I do when I'm out. Again, I was wrong. The only way to combat diabetes is to follow your doctor's orders. I thought again, I thought I was I thought I was a smart guy. I was young at the time, I guess. I cut out sugar. That's all I did. But then, like I said, I go out and I double up on pills. And that's all dangerous. That's so dangerous to double up on medications. You're supposed to take it as it's written. But I found out the hard way, eventually, that all those things that I did, all those uh, shortcuts that I took, well, the only thing it did was lead me on to worst a case, worst case of diabetes. Your sugar levels in your body. When I first was diagnosed, they told me between 90 and 120. Now they say between... 80 and 110. I don't have to worry about that because my sugar never goes down that low anymore. My sugar is constantly high. A good number for me is below 200. But I hardly get below 200. I average out probably 225 and up. I've been as high as where it wouldn't read on the meter. That's right. uh, My meter will tell you when it gets up to 599. After that, all it says is high. And I made a joke out of it. I told my wife, look at how polite my glucose meter is, telling me high. And being a nurse, she says, we got to get you over to the hospital. I went over to the hospital, and on the hospital's glucose meter, all it said was high. And now I was scared, you know, and rightfully so I was scared. They put me into the, I was in the emergency room, they put me into a room and they started pumping my body with fluids, kept on checking my my blood sugar every 20 minutes to a half hour. And it wasn't until it got down into the 400s that they were relieved. I was scared to death, and I think that's what changed everything for me at that point. I was truly scared to death. Now, I, I always heard diabetic, diabetic comas, and I thought if it went over 400, you're going to go into a coma. Well, I'm proof that it went over 600, and I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I didn't end up in a coma. Like I said, my sugar's never been, well, I shouldn't say never. On the rare occasion, it's dropped down below 90. And because it's so high, you know, the majority of the time, when my sugar got down to 90, that was so low for me. Even though it was in the range, it was so low for me, my body reacted as if I had the sweats, the shakes. I couldn't I couldn't function. my My eyesight was going blurry. You know, it's... It's a terrible disease. Diabetes is a despicable, terrible, terrible, terrible disease. And you don't realize it until you start getting the effects of it. I have peripheral neuropathy. And what that means is I've lost, I lost the feeling in both my, both my legs. And it went up as high as my knee that I had no feeling. And that was in the beginning. I had to have my left leg amputated because of a small sore sore. It started out as a small sore on my left big toe and it turned into a hole in my toe and it affected up my leg and my ankle and they had to, they had to amputate below the knee. <laughs> Let me tell you something, that's no picnic. But what happened was I got an infection in, in the amputation and it spread so far. They tried everything. They tried IV antibiotics, the hyperbaric chamber, which is no joy. And then they told me you we're going to have to amputate above the knee. And that's, again, that's no joy. That's no joyride. It's not as bad as you might fantasize about, but it's no joyride. But they did it. They amputated above my knee. But since then, too, I've had two heart attacks. I've had three strokes. I have eight stents in my heart. I have one stent in my right carotid artery. I got one stent in my right femoral artery. And in my left carotid artery... They had to open it up and put a prosthetic in there. That's how badly blocked it was. And these are all due to diabetes. Like I said, it's a terrible, terrible disease. If I paid attention in the beginning, if I paid attention when the doctor first told me, I might not be at this point. You know, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that's the whole cause, but I know I was lax in the beginning. When they put me on insulin, oh my God. I used to have my wife give me the insulin shots in the beginning because I just couldn't do it. But the first time I gave myself a shot, it took me almost an hour to give myself a shot. It took 10 minutes to give the shot. It took me 45 minutes to recuperate. It was just terrible. It was absolutely positively terrible. Then I started slacking on that. You know, I was supposed to check my sugar four times a day and I was only checking my sugar two times a day and I was supposed to take insulin every time it was over uh, 150 at that point for me. And I didn't. Being that I didn't check, I didn't take the insulin. I was lying. I was denying it, actually. I was denying that I had this disease and the the only one that hurt was me. It hurt. And now it hurts even more because now things have spread. Number one, I'm no longer on the shots of insulin, they had to put an insulin pump on me. I stick to the diet as best I can now, and my insulin is going into me 24 hours a day because of the pump, and I'm still what they call a brittle diabetic, someone that can't get their sugars under control. The neuropathy is spread to my hands now. My leg, my right leg is numb up above my neck, burns. Sometimes it feels like my foot is on fire. Sometimes now it feels like my hands are on fire. On top of that, I have arthritis. So between the arthritis and the neuropathy, sometimes the pain is just unbearable. It gets to the point where I want to cut my own hands off or I want to cut my own leg off just to get get rid of the pain. I take Tylenol. I take They give me painkillers for it. But there's nothing you can really do. You can't get rid of peripheral neuropathy. Once you have it, you have it. You have it for life. They have ways of trying to control it, but there's no way to reverse it. Like I said, diabetes is terrible. And the last thing you want is is diabetes. And the whole thing is it's preventable. Preventable to a degree. I mean, if you have a family history of it, that's kind of hard to get around. I'm the first one in my family to have diabetes. Could have been avoided, I guess. But when I got disabled, I ate like a pig. I put on weight. I I was up to 380 pounds at my worst weight. I went to Weight Watchers, and I went to Overeaters Anonymous trying to get rid of it. All of these weight programs uh, that you order food, you got to watch the carbohydrates. As a heart patient, I have to watch the sodium intake, so that kind of limits that for me. That's like one of the one of the worst things for me at T V dinners. I can't eat them because of the sodium. I love them, but I can't eat them. Like I said, if you follow the diabetic diet right from the beginning, if you get diagnosed with it as a you're a pre diabetic or a borderline diabetic, follow the diet. The carbs, I, I have to tell you this. You know, you look at it like anyone going on a diet looks at it and says, Oh, I'm gonna starve to death. You're not. You're not gonna starve to death. Every meal that you eat is 40 to 50 carbs. That's a lot of carbs. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 40 for breakfast, 40 or 50 for breakfast, again for lunch, and again for dinner. On top of that, as a diabetic, you're supposed to take a snack in between meals. So, you have breakfast, and a couple hours later, you have a snack. Snacks of 15 to 20 carbs. Then you have lunch, and you have a snack in between. In between uh, lunch and dinner. And again, another 15 to 20 carbs. Then you have dinner. And then, after dinner, before you go to bed, you have another snack. Does it sound like it's a a little bit of food? It's not. When you actually look at it, it's actually a lot of food. But the whole thing is, too, once you start following the diabetic diet, you're going to lose weight. There's no ands and buts about it. There's a a diet out there today that if you eliminate your carbs, you're going to lose weight. The only problem with that is once you eat carbs again, you're going to put it all back on. To handle your... Diabetes by diet its nothing more than behavior modification. And once you modify your behavior, once you modify your your eating, it's going to be second nature to you. And you're going to lose the weight. You're going to control the diabetes. You might even eliminate the diabetes at that point. If it's that low and you're only borderline, you can bring yourself down below the border and you're going to eliminate it. You're going to eliminate the need for insulin shots. You're going to eliminate the need for insulin pumps. You're going to eliminate the problem of peripheral neuropathy. Thing, and coronary artery disease and peripheral artery disease. You're going to eliminate all of that just by following the diet if your doctor tells you this. And if your doctor hasn't told you this, you're home disabled. I know. I've been there. I'm there now. But you can't sit and just watch TV and eat, shoveling food in your mouth, especially junk food. You have to go back. Once you're settled in with the fact that you're now permanently disabled, you have to go back to your life. Before it, as much as you can. Before you were disabled, you didn't sit around eating potato chips all day. You didn't sit around in your pajamas all day. You got to move around. You got to be more active. And the more active, all right, and I don't mean go out and run around. You, You can't if you're disabled. But as much activity as you can do, something to get the blood flowing. Get out of the house. Sit outside so you're not around food all day. Don't sit around just eating. That's the worst thing that can happen, and that's where the diabetes is going to come from. Think about all of this, please. I wouldn't wish this disease on my worst enemy. Never mind you. I'm not wishing this on you. I'm hoping that you you might listen to what I'm saying and avoid it. But I'll tell you this. If you do get diagnosed with it and the doctor has you on pills, do what the doctor tells you. I didn't, to be honest. I didn't. And here I am. You know, now I'm doing everything the doctor tells me to. But that's like, you know, putting the car before the horse. Now it's too not too late, but I'm trying to control. It's spreading anymore, but I'm already feeling some major effects from it. And I don't want that for anybody, especially you. So, please, just maintain a diet. You know, listen to what the doctor says. If he tells you you're borderline diabetic, by all means, do what he tells you. All right? I'm going to take a small break here for a second. An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. There you're going to find articles about the topics we've discussed. You're going to find our connections to our Facebook page. And you're even going to find connections to our private chat board. So take a minute, go over, visit www.famousapple.com, but please wait till the end of this podcast. Don't run out of me now. Let's get back to the discussion. And we're back here. It's only 30 seconds. That wasn't too terrible, was it? All right, I just want to touch on a couple more things about diabetes and then we'll move on. Did you know that diabetes is the number one cause of heart problems and strokes as well as kidney disease? Again, I'm not, I hate to keep saying me, 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 but again, I've had two heart attacks, three strokes. I'm also stage three kidney disease, another stage or two, and I'm on dialysis, which is something I'm not looking forward to. So watch this diabetes. Now I'd suggest, and this is only a suggestion, next time you go to your general practitioner, your family doc, ask him to screen you for diabetes. It's not going to be hard. It's a little pinprick on your finger. They put a drop of blood into a glucose monitor. And they can tell you what your sugar is right then and there. And he might even send you for the A1C, which is just a blood draw. That's nothing big. This way here, it can clear your mind. Make sure you don't have it. Maybe if you are borderline, if he tells you you're borderline at that point, well, you're catching it early. This way you can knock it right out. Be proactive with your health care. It's your health. And... Nobody else's responsibility but yours. All right, let's talk about saving some money here. I'm all for that. That's something brighter than a disease. Around the house, it's very easy to to save some money. One of the things that people don't realize is that appliances, when, when they're left plugged in, they use a lot of electricity. You might be saying, oh, what could it be? A couple of pennies. A couple, pennies lead to dollars. Your coffee machine, for instance. If you're not using your coffee machine, unplug it. Coffee machine draws electricity. I know people that leave it on 24 hours a day, and they don't realize it. Unplug the coffee machine. Unplug the stereo if you're not using it. Your computer. Don't leave your computer on sleep if you're going to be gone for a couple of hours. It's better to shut your computer down and start it back up again. You're going to save money. and You're going to save wear and tear on your computer. Because still, your computer fans have to run every so often to keep it cool. The other thing that is big that you can save money on is these LED light bulbs. I didn't believe it, but I've seen other people that have it in their house, and I figured, let me try it. And I started out by buying... A couple of GE light sticks to put them in my lamps in my living room. The GE light sticks aren't that expensive and they work perfectly in the lamp. After having that, I seen that the light, because I was afraid with the LED lights, it may not be as bright as the regular light bulbs. After seeing it, after trying them, I went and they changed all the light bulbs in my hallway, in my dining room, in my bathroom. I did the lamps in my bedroom. I was shocked. I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather. After a month of using these, I looked my electric bill. My electric bill dropped, dropped by $25. You're talking about $300 a year to do these bulbs, maybe on the long shot, depending on how many bulbs you have in your house. Worst case scenario, you might pay 40 or $50 to get all these bulbs, But you have to look at it. The electric savings, you don't have to, these bulbs, they last a long time. According to the boxes on some of them, they last 10 years. Well, we'll see. But so far, I've got mine in for a year and nothing's blown out. See, in my house, people have a habit of walking into a room, turning on a light, then walking out of the room. And guess what? The light's still on. Not that I recommend you do that anyway, but if it does it with the LED bulb, it's actually a penny to leave your lights on, but you don't want to do that either. But I did see a good, good drop in my electric bill. The only thing, the only room I have left to do right now is the kitchen, because I have the floodlights in the kitchen, and the basement. But for the rest of it, the first floor of my house is all done. It's all, all done with the LED lights, and it works like a charm your car. The oil in your car is the lifeblood of your car. And you always hear people say, change your oil. Well, they're right. I guess because of my father. My father taught me change your oil every three months or every 3,000 miles, whichever comes first. And I've been doing that since I'm 16. I'll tell you what, it, it actually works. It actually it makes the car last longer. Right now, I have a 2006 Hyundai Santa Fe from day one. Every 30,000 miles, I've changed the oil in that car. It's running like a champ. It's 11 years old. It's got 158,000 miles on it. My wife uses it to go, to go to work. It still rides like the day I drove it out of the lot. It still rides like that. There's not a tap or a knock in the engine. I don't burn any oil. I don't drip any oil. And that's all from keeping up regular preventive maintenance on it. Hyundai has that 10-year warranty there's a lot you have to do with that to maintain those these cars with these big hundred thousand mile warranties. One of the main things they do is they they require you to change the oil. And that the reason why is because it's the lifeblood of the car and it's going to make the car last. Now, the one thing I did find is when I was living in South Carolina, oil change places, the standalone oil change places were actually more expensive than going to the dealer, the Hyundai dealer. And when I went to the Hyundai dealer, they checked all the fluids, naturally put in new oil, new oil filter. They checked my tires to make sure they, were, they had the right air in them. All my fluids, they topped off. That included my windshield wiper fluid, my antifreeze if I needed it, transmission fluid, steering fluid, brake fluid, the whole nine yards. And then, before they give it back to me, they have a car wash in the back. They bring it through the car wash. They vacuum out the inside of the car. It's like you're getting a, a new car. It, it's clean. It's clean. It runs good, and it didn't cost you a bunch of money. I think Hyundai used to charge me $24, $24 for an oil change, and the standalone places were charging 30 It's a 6 bucks saving. If you go out and you find that your dealer is more expensive, shop around, find out what the other places do. Make sure that they're checking all your fluids, that they're checking your tire pressure. The tire pressure is very important, too, because it's going to take care of your traction, it's going to make your tires last longer, and it's going to help preserve your alignment very important the higher pressure now another thing is if you have an oil burner in your house, most oil companies offer a maintenance program. It's worth every dime. It really is. They come in once a year, usually before the winter, and they check your oil burner out. And there's parts that are covered with this agreement. They come in, they clean it, they check your firing plug, they check all the valves. I've had to have parts changed and they were all covered under this agreement. And the agreement only, I think it costs 150 or $160 a year, but it's well worth it because... If you have a problem with your oil burner goes out, you call them twenty-four hours a day, they're out there to fix it, and it's not costing you any. So you might want to check with your oil company the same thing with a gas burner. Check and see if they have a maintenance program. Also, and now my oil company does both air conditioning and heating. I have a central air conditioner. And they come in to check my air conditioner. They they change the filters upstairs, they check the pressure on the Freon, they clean the compressor outside. Soup to nuts, they do it all. It's worth every dime because if you have a central air and it blows out and you have to buy a compressor, whoa! <laughs> I hope you hope you you have a rich uncle or something because that's going to cost a bundle. Even your electric company might offer, I know mine does, might offer a maintenance program for your house, where if you have electric appliances, they're covered, uh, electric heat is covered. Anything electric can be covered under the warranty from your electric company. And again, I know I'm adding to your monthly payments, but all you need is one breakdown and you made your monthly payments back again. So that might be something you want to look into too. All right. I appreciate you stopping by and I appreciate you letting me bend your ear today. And I hope you'll tell your friends about us. Uh, If you could, leave us a, a comment in the comment box there. Let us know what you're thinking. And I will talk to you next week. Have a great week. Feel better. Get stronger. And we'll talk again. Thanks again for stopping by. I'm Jimmy Apple, and I'll talk to you again. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.